0: Everybody and welcome to the NFL Roadshow. Lindsey Rhodes here with you. With one game down for Week 11, and welcome back to the Fantasy Football Party. Treylon Burks, how about that? 13 games left in Week 11. Eight in the early window, three in the afternoon. A Los Angeles based Sunday night football game that is giving me massive FOMO. Wish I was going to Chargers Chiefs. I am not. Then on Monday, it's Niners cards in Mexico City, and we still don't know who's going to be playing quarterback for Arizona in that game. Cliff Kingsbury says that Kyler Murray's hamstring has come a long way, but he's going to be a game time decision. If he can't go, Colt McCoy should be next man up, but he's been on the injury report this week too with a knee injury. So considering it's a Monday game, you might need to back yourself up twice at this position just to be safe and go out and maybe grab Trace McSorley also. That said, it's not a great matchup for any of those quarterbacks, San Francisco allowing just 13 points per game to the position. This is, as always, every Friday, the Fantasy 15 edition of the pod, my favorite plays and primary fantasy thoughts for the week in a quickish 15- Ish minutes. It's been kind of closer to 20 for the last couple of weeks, but who's keeping track? It's a goal. Keep it moving. Anyway, before I get to that, I always like to put on your radar the point totals um, that are particularly relevant in fantasy in terms of trying to predict touchdown scores or game environment. The three highest point totals of the week are Browns Bills at 49 and a half, now inside a dome, uh, Bears Falcons at 49, and Chiefs Chargers in primetime. That's 52 and a half. I don't know that we've had one that high for weeks now. And I think the Chargers might need those wide receivers to get back on the field for them to get there on their end. As for the other end of the spectrum, two games under 40 points, Rams Saints at 39. And Jets Patriots, which is expected to be a slog at 37 and a half. That is incredibly low. So, that in mind, let's get to it. Start the clock. Let's break the huddle. All right, let's go. Two on two on two. Ready. Three. All right, taking a look at the quarterback position. First and foremost, the NFL moved the Buffalo game to Detroit. So Josh Allen's back in play at $8,500 in daily. Probably wouldn't have gone in that direction if he'd been playing in thunder snow. As it is, though, I wouldn't bet against him. I'm not sure that this is a week that I want to pay up for Joe Burrow. I like the Bengals a lot in the matchup, but I'm not sure this is a week that he hits his ceiling in fantasy. So far in the two games without Jamar Chase, He's thrown for 232 yards and 206 yards. His big blow-up games this year have been tied to chase touchdowns, so I probably won't be paying up for him. I do like Justin Fields, and I know that I'm not breaking any news here. His price is up to $7,600, which is $2,300 more expensive than he was just two weeks ago. There's still value in that price, though. The fourth most expensive on the slate, obviously the rushing, is what's racking up the points, but it's also unlocked his passing game for fantasy purposes. He's not passing for a ton of yards or really passing it all that frequently, but when he is passing, they're way more open than they were at the beginning of the year because of what the run game is opening up. He has seven passing touchdowns in the last three weeks, and four of them have been for 15 yards or more. Atlanta is the opponent this week. Their secondary is not great, though it does look like A.J. Terrell might be back this week, so that's a boost for them. The point total here, as mentioned already, is one of the highest on the board. The Bears have scored 29 points or more in three straight games. Um, I am big on Justin Fields this week. On the lower end, Daniel Jones, I think, uh, has some sneaky appeal Uh, It's a way to get some rushing upside. He's priced at $5,700 against Detroit. Um, He has the ceiling that you're looking for with a 31-point game on his resume against Jacksonville back in Week 7. He's rushed for 68 yards or more three times this year. And again, it's Detroit, which is allowing the second-most fantasy points per game to quarterbacks. Looking at the running backs, I got a lot of thoughts on running backs this week. Jonathan Taylor is back. Woohoo! Not only did he play well last week, but his usage was as high as it has ever been, a 93% snap rate. I liked this matchup a lot more at the beginning of the week, frankly, when Philadelphia's run defense had a clear hole without Jordan Davis on the field, which is part of the reason that we saw Brian Robinson have the success that he had on Monday Night Football. Eagles without Davis on the field were giving up about two yards per carry more on the ground. But then Howie Roseman went out and signed Linval Joseph and Indomitian Sue this week. And while neither of them is who they once were, their ability to rotate them in kind of changes the game. So while I will definitely play Taylor in season long, I'm less motivated to pay up for him in daily at $7,800. Also, and don't hate me, I would like to see him do what he did last week against a non-Raiders defense before I go all in because they're a mess. Alvin Kamara. I'm kind of out on Kamara for DFS. His rushing volume's been split in half these last few weeks, and they're not throwing to him in the passing game either. Plus, he's got the Rams, who are a tough matchup for every running back, not named Christian McCaffrey. Dalvin Cook is the second most expensive running back on the slate at $8,000, and normally I wouldn't go for that for him, but I kind of think it's a Dalvin Cook week. The last two teams to play the Cowboys... Uh, the Bears and the Packers have gone all in on the run and they've scored 29 and 31 points as a result. And sure, you could argue that those two teams needed to go all in on the run for obvious reasons. But I think we saw in their success, sort of a blueprint to neutralize Micah Parsons ability to get to the quarterback, which is massively important to the Vikings as Cousins splits when under pressure. And not under pressure are Zach Wilson esque. Completes 42.9% of his passes under pressure, 74% when the pocket is clean. Related, but not relevant to this week, Geno Smith, number one in completion percentage when clean and number one when under pressure. Doesn't phase him at all. Anyway, back to Cook. Demarcus Lawrence is also questionable for that game for the Cowboys. He's dealing with a foot injury that he thinks might be a fracture. They're saying he's going to play, but something that could affect that game. Dalvin Cook, by the way, RB10 on the year in points per game. Eight of the names ahead of him, not even remotely surprising. One of them is, though, and I feel like it's worth pointing out, Ramondre Stevenson is RB9. One of, if not the biggest fantasy values this year with an ADP around 100. RB36 is where you took him in drafts. How about that? He's turned into a must-start Week in and week out in season long, thanks to a massive role in New England's passing game. He has the sixth most catches for a running back. He's throwing what we think about New England running back usage Out the window with a 66% snap rate. That's the highest for a Patriots back since at least 2012 by like 11%. His matchup is not great this week. The Jets have been tough, but he did prove a couple of weeks ago that he could handle them with 72 yards receiving on seven catches and 71 yards rushing on 16 carries. He also offers some value at $6,700, $2,200 cheaper than Saquon, who's the most expensive running back on the slate, and obviously a very good play also against the Lions, who just gave up 250 rushing yards to the Bears. Eckler's not on the main slate, but I want to mention him because he's coming off a down game for him, 13.3 points against San Francisco. He was RB17 in Week 10. This week, he's got Kansas City. They've allowed the second most receptions to running backs. Obviously, that is his jam. I expect a big bounce back game for him. David Montgomery at $6,100 was not good last week. 5.4 points against Detroit. Very disappointing. But Khalil Herbert is out now on IR, which means that Montgomery's nine rush attempts from last week are going to go up. Herbert had 10 carries. So think about that added to his total. And the matchup is good against Atlanta, allowing the sixth most points per game to running backs. They've allowed four straight top 12 finishes for running backs to Mixon, to Eckler, and to Foreman twice. Also, again, High point total in the game. As for the other running backs in that game, I like Cordell Patterson for the Falcons at $6,200. Like Montgomery, he disappointed last week, 3.2 points against Carolina. I'm concerned about his volume. Uh, They are just insistent in working every running back they can find on the street into that rotation, but important to keep in mind, they were down fast in that game last week, and they ended up throwing the ball 30 times. That's very not like them. They've got Chicago this week. I think the game will likely be close and a better environment for Atlanta's best back. Yes, I said it. That's who Cordero is, plus revenge game against his former team in Chicago, plus the Bears have allowed more rushing touchdowns than anyone in the league. 17. Jamal Williams at 6K has a great matchup too. Wasn't bad last week, but I don't know if 11 points is what you were looking for from him. He's got the Giants this week. And while they have been pretty good on defense as a whole, they're also tied with the Chargers for highest yards per carry allowed at 5.4. They're also allowing more yards before contact than anyone else in the league. So I think this is a good matchup for the Lions running backs specifically. Until they show us otherwise, I think that primarily means Williams. The Washington backs I want to mention on the lower end, I think that there's some value there for Brian Robinson at $5,300 and Antonio Gibson at $5,600. The one I would want here for the rest of the season and season long is Gibson. He's been great in the passing game. Third highest graded running back in that area, according to PFF. He's averaging 7.4 yards per catch. He's averaging more yards per game on the ground than Robinson is, 3.6 to 3.3. That said, Robinson's still seeing a ton of volume, 15 carries a game on average, and he's getting that early down work, so he's propped up in that way. This week, I think they're both playable against Houston since the Texans cannot stop people on the ground. They've allowed 1,600 rushing yards this season. Off the main slate, I want to highlight Isaiah Pacheco, who only scored 6.2 points against Jacksonville. I just want to point out the fact that in that um, down fantasy outing, he looked really good. He averaged 5.1 yards per carry. He had a ton of volume, 16 attempts. More importantly, for our purposes, he turned a three-man rotation into a two-man rotation. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is essentially a non-factor there anymore which means that we have more clarity. McKinnon is the pass-catching back. Pacheco is the primary running back in running situations. Won't won't always make for impressive fantasy lines, that type of back, but I think that the matchup this week is a good one for him. My thought is this. The Jags' run defense has actually been pretty good. They're only allowing 4.2 yards per carry, and he performed over expectation. This week, he's got the Chargers, who are allowing a league-high 5.4 yards per carry. Also, looking ahead, the schedule looks nice for him in the weeks ahead. Kansas City with the fifth easiest strength of schedule for the rest of the year. Uh, I feel like I need to tap the Najee-Jalen-Warren base. Um, Not so much for this week, but just moving forward, there's been a lot of talk about Jalen cutting into Najee's work in a meaningful way. It didn't really come to fruition last week, but Najee did hurt his knee, hasn't appeared to be an issue in practice this week. Um, so if he continues running like he did last week when he ran for 99 yards on 20 attempts, I don't think that we'll have the running back controversy on our hands that a lot of people were expecting, but I don't love him this week. I just don't see a script that leads to that type of volume for him on the ground against the Bengals. Plus, it looks like since he will have DJ Reader back, and they are real tough to run on with him on the field. First in the league in yards allowed before contact to running backs with him. All right, looking at wide receivers, man, the top of the list on DraftKings has way too many red boxes. Cup on IR, Chase out, a bunch of other guys listed as questionable. Justin Jefferson, limited this week with a toe injury. A.J. Brown, limited with an ankle injury. Devontae Adams, limited with an ab injury. And man, can the Raiders not afford that? A.J.'s an interesting one for me if he can go, and I expect him to. I think some people will see the red one next to his name and go elsewhere. I think that that is misleading, though. Indies allowed the fewest points per game to wide receivers, yes, but they've gotten crushed by wide receiver ones. Last week, Devontae went for 126 in a touch against them. Terry McLaurin went for 113 in Week 8. I think especially in light of the Goddard injury, Brown has a big week this week. I think they feed him. And especially after Traylon Burks' game on Thursday, I think he has some added motivation this weekend to remind people who's the man. I like him very much at $8,000. Amon St. Brown at $7,200 against the Giants. I like him also. 11 targets last week. The Giants blitz a ton on nearly half of the passing plays in a game. And he has been the Lions' blitz beater, has a 44% target share against the blitz. If it's coming, they just go, hey, Amonro, where are you? Boom. Uh, Kirk, C.D. Cobb, guys that blow up against the Giants tend to be these kinds of receivers who come out of the slot a lot. I'm interested to see if we get Chark back this week. I think that that would help the Lions very much, but it don't necessarily hurt Think that it hurts Amonra St. Brown's fantasy value. Uh, Tyler Boyd at $6,500 is an interesting one with a very good matchup this week. Steelers are giving up the second most points per game to wide receivers. In daily, it's a tough call always, I think. Do you go Boyd or do you go Higgins? First, I think it's interesting that Boyd has scored more points than Higgins has on the season. Barely, they're neck and neck. But also, Boyd is less expensive on DraftKings by $600. Their volume's been pretty much neck and neck since Chase went out, and the Steelers give up more points per game to slot receivers than anyone else. I think that the value there points to Boyd. DJ Moore has a green 27 next to him on DK, but Baltimore has been much better in recent weeks against wide receivers, and he specifically has a tough matchup against Marlon Humphrey. Plus, Baker's back. And Moore did not particularly thrive with him at quarterback earlier in the season. I don't love him this week at fifty seven hundred dollars. Allen Robinson's another one that's interesting because he obviously steps into a much bigger role with Cooper Cup on injured reserve. His price did increase as a result. It's up uh, eight hundred dollars from last week to fifty six hundred dollars. So he's so you're not really getting a price break. For him, in fact he's more expensive than Jacoby Myers, who I think is is a more trustworthy one. In season long, I think Alan Robinson is probably worth a play in DFS. I'm not interested at that price. Darius Slayton is a good value this week. I think he'll be pretty chalky, in fact, as a stacking option with Daniel Jones at $5,000 against Detroit. He scored in double digits in four of the last five games, has a 20% target share in his last three games. I am interested on the low end in Paris Campbell, too, at $4,300. He's back on our radar this week now that Matt Ryan is back under center. Throwing the Sam Ellinger games out, just pretending like they didn't happen. He has 18-plus points in his last three games with Ryan, with 32 targets in that time. He's been wide receiver 10, 5, and 11. Matchup looks tough this week on the surface, but actually the Eagles are giving up a lot of points to slot receivers. 24 a game, so don't be scared to play Paris Campbell this week and keep him in consideration moving forward in season-long also. Speaking of season-long, I know a lot of you will have Rondell more questions this week if Hollywood is back. One thing to keep in mind, San Francisco has been getting lit up by slot receivers. They give up almost twice as many points to them as they do perimeter receivers. Jimmy Ward has allowed 16 catches on 16 targets there since he took over slot responsibilities for the Niners. That could bode well this week for Rondell, even if he is in a situation where his targets dwindle. Looking at the tight end position, um, and I got to mention Arizona, as I always have to mention Arizona. Which tight end is playing Arizona? Well, this week, it's a really good one. George Kittle. It's a Monday game, so he's not on the main slate, but I think it's going to be a big week for him. I also like the other tight end in that game. Um, and I might be going out on a limb with this one, but I think that Trey McBride taking over for Zach Ertz is a sneaky good pickup. And maybe I'm wrong, but I actually targeted him over some other more obvious tight ends this week on the waiver wire, because I think it just makes sense for him to step into Ertz's role. Unlike the situation in Philadelphia, which I'll get into in just a second, he is a guy who has the skills to take over. Remember, they used their highest draft pick on him last spring. He was the highest tight end taken in the draft. He was the Mackey award winner. I think he steps into Ertz's role and they target him when the situation calls for it. I don't think that the tight end usage there will change because he's the guy that is waiting in the wings. I don't feel that way about the tight ends in Philly. I don't think they have anyone like Goddard on that roster. They've got Stoll, who's a blocking tight end. They've got Calcaterra, who is more of a pass-catching tight end. If they could blend the two, I think you'd have a plug-and-play asset, but obviously you can't do that. In fact, I'm a little bit concerned, very interested, to see what the offense in general looks like without Goddard on the field as a guy who could pull a defender out of the box on RPO plays. I think the trickle-down from the loss of him has the potential to be big for Philadelphia. Marshall Falk, though, had some interesting thoughts on how the Eagles should handle this. When he came on our Fantasy Dirt Show on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio on Friday, he suggested they move A.J. Brown into the tight end position to pull defenders out and get him in some mismatches, and I think that's a super interesting call that I will have my eye on. We don't know if we're going to have Mark Andrews or not on Sunday. Harbaugh says that he'll be a game-time decision. He did practice fully on Friday, but you'll want to make sure, obviously. I think I like Isaiah Likely either way in season long, and I like him a lot in daily if Andrews is not available. He's just $3,600. That's really inexpensive for that role in that offense because remember, if Andrews is out, it's Andrews and Bateman. Likely did not get there in his last game, just one catch on five targets, at least it was for a touchdown, but he has shown the ability to get up there with a 19-point game in week eight. Cole Komet has gotten up there two weeks in a row now, 20-plus in back-to-back outings. He scored five touchdowns in three weeks. I was very wary at first, and I kind of still am, honestly, but I think he's really benefiting from the things I talked about up top with Fields about the run game opening up things in the passing game. He's a priority read in the offense and very importantly for fantasy in the red zone. His price is up in daily, but he's still pretty cheap at $4100. I will buy that upside and I don't have him in season long, but I would play him if I did. The Comet we have talked about for years, it seems like it's finally happening. Ride the wave. Kyle Pitts on the other hand, It's still not happening. Michael Fabiano has him as a sit this week and also as his 10th ranked tight end. That's how gross the position is in light of recent developments. The thing with Pitts, he's getting tons of air yards, but hardly any receiving yards. They're just not connecting. According to PFF, 50% of his targets have been deemed catchable. 50%, half, half of the balls that come his way are catchable. That's the lowest rate amongst tight ends. The next closest tight end is 62%. So he's playing out of the slot a lot more these last few weeks since Patterson returned. If you're looking for some optimism, he does have the Bears this week. They are uh, allowing 10 plus yards per attempt to tight ends. So you could say it's a good matchup. I understand uh, why you might have a hard time trusting it. I think you probably can trust Greg Dulcich this week. And I say that with some degree of trepidation because the Broncos have been that bad on offense this year. And Dulcich burned me last week, as did Russell Wilson. But he still has the seventh best DVOA at tight end. And the matchup is right. Raiders allowing the fifth most points per game to the position. You guys, that defense was so bad last week. So bad. Juwan Johnson... Might have been a name that popped up on the waiver wire this week um, that you thought about, maybe picked up. He has scored at least 12 points in three of the last four weeks. He's all the way up to tight end 11 on the season. He has tightened three since week seven. He was the Saints target leader last week, and he scored four touchdowns in the last four games. All of that said, the underlying metrics for him are not great. Uh, That's target percentage, yards per route run. He is completely touchdown dependent and he's in an offense that uses three tight ends, but they do go into that hurry up two minute offense somewhat frequently, which is when they use him. So you could do worse than him if you're desperate in season long. He's got a tough matchup this week, though. Got to put that on your radar. The Rams are allowing an NFL low 7.8 points per game to tight end. All right. That's going to do it for us this week. Thanks as always for checking in. I hope some of this helps. And if I didn't talk about someone that you have a specific question about, go ahead and hit me up on Twitter, um, which still appears to be working. I'm at Lindsey underscore Rhodes on Instagram. I am Lindsey Rhodes NFL. Big thanks to Chris Tyler and Brady Gardner for stepping in and producing the show this week. The show, as always, is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. We're back on Monday recapping all of this week 11 action, and I hope you'll join us for that. Serious XM Podcasts.